This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter 40 The Martyr. Deem not the just by heaven forgot, though life its common gifts deny, though with a crushed and bleeding heart, as spurned of man he goes to die. For God hath marked each sorrowing day, and numbered every bitter tear, and heaven's long years of bliss shall pay for all his children suffer here. Bryant. Note. This poem does not appear in the collected works of William Cullen Bryant, nor in the collected poems of his brother John Howard Bryant. It was probably copied from a newspaper or magazine. The longest way must have its close. The gloomiest night will wear on to a morning. An eternal, inexorable lapse of moments is ever hurrying the day of the evil to an eternal night, and the night of the just to an eternal day. We have walked with our humble friend thus far in the valley of slavery, first through flowery fields of ease and indulgence, then through heart-breaking separations from all that man holds dear. Again we have waited with him in a sunny island, where generous hands concealed his chains with flowers, and lastly we have followed him when the last ray of earthly hope went out in night, and seen how, in the blackness of earthly darkness, the firmament of the unseen has blazed with stars of new and significant luster. The morning star now stands over the tops of the mountains, and gales and breezes not of earth show that the gates of day are unclosing. The escape of Cassie and Emmeline irritated the before surly temper of Legree to the last degree, and his fury, as was to be expected, fell upon the defenceless head of Tom. When he hurriedly announced the tidings among his hands, there was a sudden light in Tom's eye, a sudden upraising of his hands, that did not escape him. He saw that he did not join the muster of the pursuers. He thought of forcing him to do it, but, having had of old experience of his inflexibility when commanded to take part in any deed of inhumanity, he would not in his hurry stop to enter into any conflict with him. Tom, therefore, remained behind, with a few who had learned of him to pray, and offered up prayers for the escape of the fugitives. When Legree returned, baffled and disappointed, all the long-working hatred of his soul towards his slave began to gather in a deadly and desperate form. Had not this man braved him, steadily, powerfully, resistlessly, ever since he bought him? Was there not a spirit in him which, silent as it was, burned on him like the fires of perdition? "'I hate him,' said Legree that night, as he sat up in his bed. "'I hate him. And isn't he mine? Can't I do what I like with him? Who's to hinder, I wonder?' And Legree clenched his fist and shook it, as if he had something in his hands that he could rend in pieces. But then Tom was a faithful, valuable servant, and although Legree hated him the more for that, yet the consideration was still somewhat of a restraint to him. The next morning he determined to say nothing, as yet, to assemble a party from some neighboring plantations, with dogs and guns, to surround the swamp, and go about the hunt systematically. If it succeeded, well and good. If not, he would summon Tom before him, and, his teeth clenched and his blood boiled, then he would break the fellow down, or—there was a dire inward whisper to which his soul assented. Ye say that the interest of the master is a sufficient safeguard for the slave. 
In the fury of man's mad will, he will wittingly, and with open eye, sell his own soul to the devil to gain his ends. And will he be more careful of his neighbor's body? Well, said Cassie the next day from the garret, as she reconnoitred through the knot-hole, the hunt's going to begin again to-day. Three or four mounted horsemen were curvetting about on the space in front of the house, and one or two leashes of strange dogs were struggling with the negroes who held them, baying and barking at each other. The men are, two of them, overseers of plantations in the vicinity, and others were some of Legree's associates at the tavern bar of a neighboring city, who had come for the interest of the sport. A more hard-favored set perhaps could not be imagined. Legree was serving brandy profusely round among them, as also among the negroes who had been detailed from the various plantations for this service. For it was an object to make every service of this kind among the negroes as much of a holiday as possible. Cassie placed her ear at the knot-hole, and, as the morning air blew directly towards the house, she could overhear a good deal of the conversation. A grave sneer overcast the dark, severe gravity of her face as she listened, and heard them divide out the ground, discuss the rival merits of the dogs, give orders about firing, and the treatment of each in case of capture. Cassie drew back, and clasping her hands, looked upward, and said, "'Oh, great!' Almighty God, we are all sinners, but what have we done, more than all the rest of the world, that we should be treated so?" There was a terrible earnestness in her face and voice as she spoke. "'If it wasn't for you, child,' she said, looking at Emmeline, "'I'd go out to them, and I'd thank any one of them that would shoot me down. For what use will freedom be to me? Can it give me back my children, or make me what I used to be?' Emmeline, in her childlike simplicity, was half afraid of the dark moods of Cassie. She looked perplexed, but made no answer. She only took her hand with a gentle caressing movement. "'Don't,' said Cassie, trying to draw it away. "'You'll get me to loving you, and I never mean to love anything again.' "'Poor Cassie,' said Emmeline, "'don't feel so. If the Lord gives us liberty, perhaps he'll give you back your daughter. At any rate, I'll be like a daughter to you.' I know I'll never see my poor old mother again. I shall love you, Cassie, whether you love me or not." The gentle, childlike spirit conquered. Cassie sat down by her, put her arm round her neck, stroked her soft brown hair, and Emmeline then wondered at the beauty of her magnificent eyes, now soft with tears. "'Oh, Em!' said Cassie. I've hungered for my children, and thirsted for them, and my eyes fail with longing for them. Here, here, she said, striking her breast, it's all desolate, all empty. If God would give me back my children, then I could pray. You must trust him, Cassie, said Emmeline. He is our father. His wrath is upon us, said Cassie. He has turned away in anger. No, Cassie, he will be good to us. Let us hope in him, said Emmeline. I always have had hope. The hunt was long, animated, and thorough, but unsuccessful. And with grave, ironic exultation, Cassie looked down on Legree, as weary and dispirited he alighted from his horse. "'Now, Quimbo,' said Legree, as he stretched himself down in the sitting-room, "'you just go and walk that tom up here right away. The old cuss is at the bottom of this yar old matter, and I'll have it out of his old black hide, or I'll know the reason why.' Sambo and Quimbo, both, though hating each other, 
were joined in one mind by a no less cordial hatred of Tom. Legree had told them, at first, that he had bought him for a general overseer in his absence, and this had begun an ill-will on their part, which had increased in their debased and servile natures, as they saw him becoming obnoxious to their master's displeasure. Quimbo, therefore, departed with a will to execute his orders. Tom heard the message with a forewarning heart, for he knew all the plan of the fugitive's escape, and the place of their present concealment. He knew the deadly character of the man he had to deal with, and his despotic power. But he felt strong in God to meet death, rather than betray the helpless. He sat his basket down by the row, and, looking up, said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth, and then quietly yielded himself to the rough, brutal grasp with which Quimbo seized him. Ay, ay, said the giant as he dragged him along. You'll catch it now. I'll bound Massa's backs up high. No sneaking out now. Tell you, you'll get it, no mistake. See how you'll look now, helping Massa's niggers to run away. See what you'll get. The savage words, none of them reached that ear. A higher voice there was saying, Fear not them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Nerve and bone of that poor man's body vibrated to those words, as if touched by the finger of God, and he felt the strength of a thousand souls in one. As he passed along, the trees and bushes, the huts of his servitude, the whole scene of his degradation seemed to whirl by him as the landscape by the rushing ear. His soul throbbed, his home was in sight, and the hour of release seemed at hand. "'Well, Tom,' said Legree, walking up and seizing him grimly by the collar of his coat, and speaking through his teeth in a paroxysm of determined rage, "'do you know I've made up my mind to kill you?' "'It's very likely, Massa,' said Tom calmly. "'I have,' said Legree, with a grim and terrible calmness, "'done just that thing, Tom, unless you tell me what you know about these Argyles.' Tom stood silent. "'Do you hear?' said Legree, stamping, with a roar like that of an incensed lion. "'Speak!' "'I hain't got nothing to tell, Massa,' said Tom, with a slow, firm, deliberate utterance. "'Do you dare to tell me, you old black Christian, you don't know?' said Legree. Tom was silent. "'Speak!' thundered Legree, striking him furiously. "'Do you know anything?' "'I know, Massa, but I can't tell anything. I can die.' Legree drew in a long breath, and, suppressing his rage, took Tom by the arm, and, approaching his face almost to his, said in a terrible voice, "'Hark ye, Tom! Ye think, cause I've let you off before, I don't mean what I say. But this time I've made up my mind, and counted the cost. You've always stood it out agin me. Now I'll conquer ye, or kill ye. One or t'other. I'll count every drop of blood there is in you, and take em one by one, till ye give up." Tom looked up to his master, and answered, "'Massa, if you was sick, or in trouble, or dying, and I could save ye, I'd give ye my heart's blood. And if taking every drop of blood in this poor old body would save your precious soul, I'd give em freely, as the Lord gave his for me. Oh, Massa, don't bring this great sin on your soul. It will hurt you more than twill me. Do the worst you can. My troubles be over soon. But if you don't repent, yours won't never end. 
Like a strange snatch of heavenly music heard in the lull of a tempest, this burst of feeling made a moment's blank pause. Legree stood aghast, and looked at Tom, and there was such a silence that the tick of the old clock could be heard, measuring, with silent touch, the last moments of mercy and probation to that hardened heart. It was but a moment. There was one hesitating pause, one irresolute, relenting thrill, and the spirit of evil came back with sevenfold vehemence, and Legree, foaming with rage, smote his victim to the ground. Scenes of blood and cruelty are shocking to our ear and heart. What man has nerve to do, man has not nerve to hear. What brother man and brother Christian must suffer cannot be told us, even in our secret chamber, it so harrows the soul. And yet, O oh my country, these things are done under the shadow of thy laws. O oh Christ, thy church sees them almost in silence. But of old there was one whose suffering changed an instrument of torture, degradation, and shame into a symbol of glory, honor, and immortal life. And where his spirit is, neither degrading stripes, nor blood, nor insults, can make the Christian's last struggle less than glorious. Was he alone that long night, whose brave, loving spirit was bearing up in that old shed against buffeting and brutal stripes? Nay, there stood by him one, seen by him alone, like unto the Son of God. The tempter stood by him, too, blinded by furious despotic will, every moment pressing him to shun that agony by the betrayal of the innocent. But the brave, true heart was firm on the eternal rock. Like his master, he knew that, if he saved others, himself he could not save nor could utmost extremity wring from him words save of prayers and holy trust. "'He's most gone, Massa,' said Sambo, touched in spite of himself by the patience of his victim. "'Pay away till he gives up. Give it to him. Give it to him,' shouted Legree. "'I'll take every drop of blood he has, unless he confesses.' Tom opened his eyes and looked upon his master. "'Ye poor miserable critter,' he said. There ain't no more ye can do. I forgive ye with all my soul." And he fainted entirely away. "'I believe, my soul, he's done for, finally,' said Legree, stepping forward to look at him. "'Yes, he is. Well, his mouth's shut up at last. That's one comfort.' "'Yes, Legree. But who shall shut up that voice in thy soul? That soul past repentance, past prayer, past hope, in whom the fire that never shall be quenched is already burning. Yet Tom was not quite gone. His wondrous words and pious prayers had struck upon the hearts of the imbruted blacks, who had been the instruments of cruelty upon him, and the instant Legree withdrew, they took him down, and in their ignorance sought to call him back to life, as if that were any favor to him. "'Sartin we's been doin' a dreadful wicked thing,' said Sambo. Hope's master'll have to count for it, not we." They washed his wounds, they provided a rude bed of some refuse cotton for him to lie down on, and one of them, stealing up to the house, begged a drink of brandy of Legree, pretending that he was tired, and wanted it for himself. He brought it back and poured it down Tom's throat. "'Oh, Tom,' said Quimbo, "'we's been awful wicked to you.' "'I forgive ye with all my heart,' 
said Tom faintly. Oh, Tom, do tell us who is Jesus, anyhow, said Sambo. Jesus that's been a standin' by you so all this night, who is he? The word roused the failing, fainting spirit. He poured forth a few energetic sentences of that wondrous one, his life, his death, his everlasting presence and power to save. They wept, both the two savage men. Why didn't I never hear this before? said Sambo. But I do believe. I can't help it. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Poor critters, said Tom. I'd be willing to buy all I have, if it'll only bring you to Christ. Oh, Lord, give me these two more souls, I pray. That prayer was answered. End of chapter 40